0: Listening to No Plot Only Lore, a podcast about games and the tables we play them at. Your DMs tonight, and every night, are Josh and Chris. You can find us on all podcast platforms, or check us out at noplotonlylore.com. If you like what you hear today, please rate and review the show and share it with everyone you've ever met. Alright, so let's talk about what a big fucking failure you are. That's um. me. And a, add a <laughs> disappointment to my parents. Hmm? I had a disappointment to my parents, so... Um, oh, yeah, perfect. Uh, that all rolls into sounds one. like a great way to kick this shit off. Let's <laughs> just be a, a giant downer.
1: <laughs> we'll just have every episode be a topic that accidentally turns into group therapy. <laughs> uh,
0: I fucking felt that at the party yesterday, man. Right? Like, the fact that I had just met this chick and we were talking about, like... The fact that her violence didn't actually end up with her getting debriefed yep. after like ten minutes yep. is just like I don't know how to have normal conversations. It is normal conversations immediately... are so fucking boring, though. Oh my god! I never want to talk about the weather again.
1: No, zero percent. If you, if someone mentions like Celsius or Fahrenheit, I'm just out. Like unless like I'm in like a laboratory setting, I don't. I don't want to hear degree centigrade. I really. Oh, are we fighting?
0: No, I don't know. I am a thousand percent Celsius. Oh, no Celsius forever.
1: I. That's without question. I'm yeah. just saying, OK, I don't want to hear about the temperature of anything whatsoever.
0: Oh, no. Yeah, no, I, I just <clears throat> I deeply value a measurement system that actually makes any goddamn sense.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Base yeah. 10, that's 10.
0: Yes, yeah. That's how many fingers and toes I have. Not combined, but like independently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got, I got
1: ten fingers and toes total. <laughs> <laughs> we see Chris walking around the house with his socks off. You know he's been doing his taxes or something. <laughs> Alright, so failure. Okay, failures.
0: Failure. Um, mm-hmm. The reason that we wanted to talk about failure... Today was because I had kind of an interesting experience in my most recent actual play event, and that was um, I gave my players the option of handling their own crit fails. They decided what happened for their critical failures, and a lot of times I won't do that. I just, I, there isn't always the level of trust. That I would need to have somebody not like hem and haw about the failure that they're going to be receiving. Like, if you fuck up and then I give you the option for how you're going to fuck up, there's a level of trust that's needed there because otherwise, um, you might just decide that you didn't really, right? Or it's just a little fuck up, right? It's not like a huge deal. But in this case, the two crit fails that happened in close proximity. I gave both of the players the option for how they wanted to handle that and they were fucking nasty. Right. They were really mean with it. Right? Like one guy crit failed, he hit himself in his own leg with enough force to drop him to zero hit points. And the next guy that crit failed suplexed a dingo into the first guy. Like okay, that guy's dead now. That yeah. character is dead. <laughs> <laughs> off of two bad rolls my players not me my players decided to kill a guy right and well
1: sorry i think they th- decided that the consequences
0: of their yes. decisions
1: were a guy dying
0: yes they they decided rather than like lose an item sure. fall prone move past the guy, change your positioning, right? Like any of the number of things that you can do to illustrate that you've critically failed a thing. Instead of doing any of that, they went straight for the fucking jugular. (laughs) And I thought that that was really interesting because I think that it reflects a kind of fundamental change in the way that we've been viewing failure in tabletop RPGs over the course of the last, well, how long have tabletop RPGs existed? Like 60 years?
1: Yeah. I'm not going to do the math, but yes, that sounds about right. Since the yeah. 60s.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I, I figured that that would be an interesting thing to talk about. Because it, it is something that also interests me, okay. is the idea of how we can make failure suck less, narratively right. or, like, grammatically or, um, like, j- just ways that we can make it more fun to fail. Right. And more interesting to fail, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, just pulling out a couple of things from that there. Uh, one, it sounds like there's sort of a. I want to call it like a like a culture around failure that I, I want to make sure is, one hundred percent organic to these character to, to these players and not something that they've absorbed from, the dearth of ttrpg content that's out there right now i mean i think mm. there there's something to be said for the outsized influence of you know professional role players we'll call them um are we 30
0: seconds into this
1: and we're already talking about the matt mercer effect <laughs> <laughs> it's, unfortunately it's something you can't ignore right now um maybe like and i understand like I, I will be fair to the guy. I'm not saying he is, like, at fault for some of these things, but there are certain moments, especially for people who come into the hobby through those sources where, mm-hmm. like, certain events in the, in the we'll call it show, have really stuck with them as far as, like, the negative effects of failure. Um, hmm. And it's not necessarily something that's backed up by mechanics or the system. Like, I... When it comes to like critical failure, I mean, you know, I, I got into the hobby um, in the, the fourth edition of Dungeons Dragons, and um, mm-hmm. for good or ill, but that that particular version never really mentioned much about critical failures until they brought out the Dark Sun book, which mm-hmm. very specifically was like, hey, by the way, metal isn't really a thing, so you've got a bunch of like bone and stone and wood weapons and armor when those things critically fail, they are quite likely to break because it's it's a natural material, right? And it makes sense for the setting that you might have, if you're using a bunch of sharpened sticks, essentially, you might have to carry a few extra sticks because they're going to break when things go sideways, right? Well, and like going back a little bit um,
0: to the first thing that you said there about how 4th edition D&D didn't really talk much about critical failure. Right. That was also true for third edition. That yeah. was also true for second. That was also true for first edition. Like yeah. I, I, the first books that I played out of were the red box starter set for yeah. first edition D anD D, and if I recall, they didn't actually mention anything about critical failure, like rolling a natural one, sucked.
1: Well, and they mentioned but that it didn't have a name, right? And right. I, I I don't know about the previous editions, but I know like the stuff that I've read up to date. Yeah. When it says you rolled a one, it's just, well, that's always a failure. And that's it. It was just one of those mechanical things where, hey, a 20 is like, when you're in combat, is always going to succeed. A one is always Mm -hmm. going to fail. Um, Yeah. You know.
0: And, like, social contract-wise, a natural 20 in a non-combat situation is usually
1: going to get you there. Sure.
0: I mean. Something absolutely ridiculous.
1: I I do play with someone who frequently reminds me that it's not a guarantee of a success, but I'm like, okay, that's great, good for you. You want to run the world's most difficult RPG, that's fine. Uh, (laughs) Brennan Lee Mulligan effect. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 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 Yeah. What's the opposite of the Matt Mercer effect? Um, (laughs) But, um, yeah, I mean, failure is something that while obviously like a a fact of life, we've I think amplified the effect of it, brought it brought more negative effects into our games that weren't supposed to be there. I don't know if it's just some sort of self-flagellation or, or, you know, we just expect that there is going to be extremes of success and failure in every situation, but it's something that definitely, like, I make a very conscious effort when I'm running games to... Uh, I I'll, let, me, let, me, let me say this, and this is... I, I think this is kind of outside the box for a lot of people, but I don't believe in critical failures. Like, okay. when, especially in a combat situation, I, I assume that there is going to be a certain level of just generic human competence in these player characters. Um, okay. And... I prefer to save the idea of a critical failure for outside of combat you know um maybe social situations where you know you've like you say the wrong thing you screw up the role and you have deeply offended the king right mm. um but when it comes to like specifically a combat situation it for me critical failures in that in the like the effect of like Well, hey, I critically failed and hit my own leg, or the arrow bounced off the shield and took out my buddy's eye. It just makes (laughs) it—it makes it a little too, um, Three Stooges for me, Mm. you know. Like it, it just becomes comical failure because, you know, as uh, a nearing middle-aged white man, I have studied a lot of medieval history and combat and you know even through mm-hmm. other eras of war and frankly weaponry and stuff doesn't work like that
0: <laughs> you know so how and, often do you think about the roman
1: empire it's at least weekly <laughs> 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 like when i get meme... a, when i get a little bit of time to myself it's at least once a week oh yeah
0: yeah now that that meme has been it has some currency in some of my circles where people are just like, hey, Christopher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How often do you
1: think about uh, the Roman Empire I'm there, thinking about um, it right literally now. All, literally all the time. <laughs> Look, between <laughs> Jesus Christ and us right now, there's only been two empires, and it was the Romans and the Byzantines, so...
0: And, and, and there's
1: a couple others. Ah! <laughs> you know, the British, that time- well, they 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 they, the that doesn't world. count. That's, col- <laughs> that's not an empire, that's colonies, that's... I mean, they called oh. it an empire, but like, come on! If you can't walk across <laughs> your empire, it doesn't count.
0: That, so your your definition of empire ends at sea
1: travel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Massive oh. contiguous land, uh, land mass. So you got your Mongols, yeah. your Romans, your your uh, Byzantines. Anyway, so one of the
0: things that I took from what you just said there was the idea of like the basic human competence yeah um uh, have you played any of the gumshoe games Uh, robin laws nope put them together
1: nope no
0: um one of the things that i found really interesting about those games in particular was that robin laws did make that same assumption that Mm -hmm. like people have a basic level of competence There's yeah an amount of training that they have these things are their fucking jobs yeah right and so for um investigation and anything that you're doing to like find clues and anything that you're doing to like dust for fingerprints that kind of thing right like a- anything that is outside of combat and is just your job yeah right like canvassing the neighborhood to to collect like testimonies from people yeah you don't even roll for those. Yeah. You just automatically win. Yeah, if you're trained in them, right. you just do them. Yeah, you just know how to do that thing and you do it. And the only time that you do roll is when it would be narratively interesting for a success or failure to be a possibility. For sure. Right. So your car chases, your like gunfights, yeah. anything where that like the the coin flip of chance actually is going to impact the the front of the plot. Right. But like I think what he was trying to avoid there was that situation where you plant a clue in the Duchess's bedchamber, and everybody searches the bedchamber, and they roll fours and fives, mm-hmm. and then they never get the clue, and so you have to put the clue somewhere else, and then they don't get the clue there either. Right. And like you're, you're just kind of like playing like a game of hide and seek with this clue yeah. that they need to get for the story to progress and it's just stalled out. Yeah. And at, <laughs> at a certain
1: point your DM's discretion can't even save them because you're like you guys haven't rolled higher than a five in two weeks like I don't know what to tell you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so like that I think is kind of interesting is that like his his approach to it was exactly the opposite of yours. Right. Where like the, the rolling and the chance and the chance of failure to be even a thing um, is only in combat situations and chases and, like, high-tension situations, the chance of failure is completely taken out of trying to impress the king.
1: Oh, well, like, I'm not saying failure is gone. Definitely not. Actually, I think
0: right? trying to impress the king would still
1: involve yeah, yeah, all, yeah. just because it's, like, narratively interesting if you yeah. fuck it up. But I'm saying, like, disastrous consequences for failure are gone mm-hmm. from my combat situations. Because, one, I don't think it's realistic to have these... Looney Tunes arrows shooting around the room, bouncing off eight different objects because I rolled a one. And at the same token, like, do I know a guy who's cut his own leg open with a chainsaw? Yes, because he was stupid and unsafe. But he also wasn't swinging. Of course, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But he also wasn't like (laughs) swinging at something that should be literally five feet away from him. Like, it's it's very difficult to screw up that badly, you know. Um, Yeah, I just I really dislike like combat being the one thing that can really 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 devastate your party because someone screwed up like you can just miss that's fine you just whiffed okay for me like
0: critical failure to me has always been a state change in the combat it hasn't necessarily been like a Like, part of the reason that I I came into this with the the example that I mentioned earlier is that the players that I was playing with were rat-nasty with how bad they treated these critical fails. Right. right? Like, for me, in a situation like that, you roll a critical fail on, like, a a dog that's chewing on your leg, you end up prone. Right. right? Like, it's not even... Like, it it changes your effect. Yeah. It changes what's going on for you in that moment. But you're not taking extra damage really yeah. you're not like it, it hasn't completely ruined your day you're not making death saves by the end of the turn for sure right you're just prone right or the, the dog has moved you right so now you're like a couple squares away from where you were right and critically failing on like suplexing a dog to me that just sounds like again like the character who did the suplexing suplexed bad
1: yeah he's, and he's prone himself and up, the maybe. dog is not yeah. <laughs> like,
0: now the dog is in a really good position to start chewing on throats. He's prone and he dazed himself <laughs> by just
1: banging his head off the pavement, you know? like
0: Right? Yeah. So, like, that's kind of how I treat critical failures. Is yeah. it's, it's very rarely, like, a, a catastrophic change of fate as much as it is just, like, the, the small complications, right? Like, the, the sure. introduction of a small complication in the combat that you wouldn't have to be dealing with otherwise, right? Like, there is no stat block for it. Yep. There's no place on the the dingo's stat sheet that yeah, says yeah, that, yeah. like, this is how they take you to prone. Is just, you fucked up. Now you're on the ground.
1: Yeah. So then, is this... Is this an issue of, like... You... Need to take more control over what the like it was just like the expectation was not set early enough of what failure actually means or are the characters just particularly predictive for some reason or is do you find that this is a more common attitude amongst like the whole kind of community where like now the expectation is set is that failure is really bad and so people just assume that when you give them the opportunity to make that decision they're just going to jump to that like most extreme result okay so let's talk about the diehard rule for a second where uh for
0: anybody who doesn't know the diehard rule is that player characters players want you to kick the shit out of them right Right. they they want challenges to be hard they want to end a session walking across broken glass with their shoes off with one bullet left in their gun and then the trick is that they still want to win Right. right and so like finding that balance of properly kicking the shit out of your players so that they have a great story about how they overcame these adversities to still win is a really difficult balance to do. Yeah. Um and I think that like this was our first session. Yeah. I think that's a, a an important distinctive feature of this game is that this was session 1 where like people were deciding that critical failure was going to result in death. Right. And I think that Part of that was setting stakes, right? That was the players telling me what they want their stakes to be, right? They're, they want to let me know that, like, one, player character death is okay. It's a thing that they're going to, like, not balk at or try and avoid necessarily. Right. In fact, they went running headlong into it in the first session. And two, I think that that creates that situation where, like, now we know what the stakes are, Let's avoid those at all costs. Okay. Right. So we can see that a player character has died. We know that that happened, and now we have an opportunity to like understand where those stakes are, so that we can get to that die hard moment later, feeling like we've earned it.
1: Gotcha. So, uh, right? I just I have a couple of clarification questions. Um, one, yeah. have you played with these players before? And two, nope. are they, like, RPG veterans or there's people playing this for the first time? It's a mixed crew. Okay. Yeah, the, the two in particular, have they played before, or are they new players? They're vets. Okay. Yeah, they're both vets. Okay.
0: Which is why I trusted them to, to handle, like, a crit-fail situation. Like, really. I am generally very quick... I'm You've played with me yep. a fair bit. You know that I am perfectly happy sharing narrative control with my players. So, like, if you do... If you want to do something that is weird, yeah. I will usually just let you describe that, yeah, and that's how it goes. If you can figure so, out a
1: way to make it not stupid, then we'll go with it.
0: Even sometimes, if it's stupid, that <laughs> <laughs> there were definitely a couple of times where uh, you, you went after a particular Mister Laserstein in ways that were dumb, but they were cool, so we
1: let them slide. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that's still one of my all-time favorite campaigns we've done. It was a great campaign. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Yeah, I I feel what you're saying there. Um, That's what worries me, I think, about this whole interaction, is that it's the veteran players who are expecting catastrophe. Mm. You know, like, they've been, like, conditioned for the worst. Like, I understand you want a challenge, Mm -hmm. and however that manifests as, you know, some... On combat challenges real genuine puzzles mm-hmm. for people to solve and some people are just really good tacticians who know how to push that combat encounter to the limit um and some people are just good improvisational storytellers who let people do whatever they want and and you know follow along with them and, and throw the right kind of curveballs at them but like it seems unhealthy to me to have two people who are familiar with the genre and the mechanisms and still went with the option that caused the most lethality. And maybe it's just personalities. <laughs> but I worry that that's like a sentiment that's starting to sort of become the, the the dominant narrative in the hobby is that you know failure is absolute in a certain way.
0: Well, and I feel like because um, we, we did a fair bit of organized play in the transition from 4th edition to 5th mm-hmm. and I feel like um, especially with the Dark Sun stuff mm-hmm. that came out at around that time um, and some of the stuff from like D&D Next is that what they were calling it at the time? D&D Beyond? Uh, yeah.
1: Next, yeah.
0: Um, those were some expectations that were set pretty early on mm-hmm. coming fresh off of the Dark Sun stuff. Because like the Dark Sun campaign setting is fucking brutal.
1: Yep. And Um, I don't have a problem with that. That's the expectation from minute one is that you are in an unforgiving desert wasteland where everything hates you and wants to kill you, especially if you use magic.
0: But that was like the last fourth edition um, organized play event that led into the start of the fifth edition stuff. Yeah. Was we were doing like high lethality fourth edition stuff moving right into fifth edition where player character death was absolutely, um, I don't know if nerfed or buffed. Like it was way easier to kill players. Oh yeah. 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 Is because like fourth edition came in with the idea that you're a heroic badass and you're going to be able to kick monsters off of rooftops, um, uh, come level two.
2: Yeah.
0: And fifth edition was much more, tailored to like the old school role-playing crew who wanted to like recapture third and second nostalgia yeah um and so like the the amount of lethality actually increased as we were moving away from a setting where lethality was the thing yeah <laughs> yeah yeah And so i'm not I, I have a feeling that fifth edition in particular has carried some of that baggage forward from the people that were learning at that time because that was 10 years ago where we were making that transition and a lot of the people who were just learning to play DD at that point are the people who are dming now
1: True. true i can't help but wonder too if like some of this and i'm not laying the but oh, if, no, that's fair. if some of this hasn't been <laughs> exacerbated by the growth well, sometimes by necessity but just the, the prevalence of um, online play and mm. uh, the reduction of you know like organized play just has not existed for 5th edition in the way that it did for 4th yeah. um, and some of that is COVID I mean it is what it is mm-hmm. Um, but there's been a lot of push for online tools in this, you know, especially even from Wizards themselves with, with D and D stuff. Like they want you to. Obviously, there there's lots of other ulterior motives you can discuss about why they're pushing for more digital content. But money, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 all it's money. the only one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I I, th- I think a side effect of that is the depersonalization of the relationship between Mm -hmm. the player and the dm um you know when we talk about people who are coming from these second third edition groups the thing that you don't hear these days is like certainly not with the frequency that i used to people talking about playing the same game for five ten years and going through multiple characters and having at the end of the day your friends and the friendship be sort of the central thing that keeps the group together and not just like your chances to be a cool guy. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's something to be said for the the cold impersonality of online D D these days too, where you're you're jumping into someone's Discord server and you don't know them from Adam and you know, for for them and for you, like the consequences are purely on the screen you don't have Mm -hmm. to deal with the relationship later um you don't have to deal with the frustrating conversation with hey like your expectation changed in the middle of the game of how they're going to respond stuff like that right
0: so i wonder if that's that's... interesting too because like there there was a lot of talk about the like wowification of D D in fourth edition where like the Game mechanic, yeah, I know, I saw the eye roll. But, like, <laughs> that, I wonder if there is something to be said for um, people getting into D&D not 10 years ago, but 15 years ago, who came into it with much more, like, video game mentality. Okay. Right, like, they came into it with expectations that were fed by MMOs right player death is something that just happens all the time and you just reset and re-roll right you don't even re-roll in an mmo you just like respawn wherever it was you respawn Mm -hmm. and you keep going Mm -hmm. right and that's just kind of a, a baseline expectation of this style of game now um i think that in this specific case like part of what you were talking about before like the, the investment in the character wasn't there yet mm-hmm. right like they hadn't actually created a personal attachment to that character yet yeah and so like the one guy suplexing the dingo that wasn't his friend he suplexed a dingo into no that wasn't a person that was a a thing
1: well and even just right. reanalyzing that statement on what planet is suplexing a dingo into a guy who's already down like the rational move in the middle of combat, right? <laughs> I mean, he
0: wasn't doing it on purpose. He rolled a critical failure. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, okay.
1: But like <laughs> he's trying to suplex the, the dingo into a different thing. Right. Suplexing a The, ground the dingo, that was under the guy. Suplexing <laughs> a dingo, the normal move that you do when fighting an animal.
0: Yes. Every time I fight a dog, I want to pick it up by the waist, and I want to hurl it and myself at the floor very fast.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it it very much sounds like this wowification thing you're talking about kind of played out in the middle of that combat before it even got to Critical Fails. Like, people just doing... (laughs) People just doing, like, goofy shit in the middle of a fight.
0: I mean, his his character is a... um, a monk that has been styled after a professional wrestler. So like suplexing and anything is kind of on brand.
1: <laughs> I, I guess, but yeah, also like, there wasn't
0: a top rope for him to jump off of.
1: No, but... that's true. He couldn't just <laughs> people's elbow of dingo into the pavement. Um, I mean, you could, but you'd need to like bounce off a cactus or something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't want to get hung up on the details of this specific interaction because there's just like there's a oh, lot yeah. of weird decisions that were made, but um, agreed. Yeah, like to your point about like the idea of just character mortality in general. Um, mm-hmm. I think. I think yeah, there is something to be said for like needing to have a certain level of increased mortality just to have that the stakes be like necessarily consequential to storytelling but at the same time like (laughs) where's that balance of like we're trying to tell like a super gritty story versus like we're just trying Mm -hmm. to have like fun with some friends on a saturday and roll a few dice you know like
0: how i'm sure you remember like me in the store when like organized play was happening and people were like putting together their characters around the tables and they'd be like hey is this gonna be like a a tough encounter and i I would just be behind the counter being like i'm gonna kill you i'll (laughs) kill all of you it's gonna be a tpk (laughs) every every single time we play yeah just brutal i'm a murderous murderous antagonistic dm nobody wants to play with me because i'm so brutal and then everybody walks out like it was daisies and flowers the whole time. Right? Yeah, just, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> I had kid gloves on the whole time. Yeah, you've got to be <laughs> all bark, no bite, like, whatsoever.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's that's obviously just part and parcel with the job, is, like, having to find mm-hmm. that balance as you, you know, like you said, you're, like I said, you're, you're, you're doing collaborative storytelling, so what's yeah. best going to serve the, the overall narrative? Um, yeah.
0: But, so something you know, that I did want to talk about too um, yeah. some, something I did want to talk about too is like how other games approach this because like D&D obviously the, the big boy in the yeah. room yeah. but like the failure has evolved quite a bit in role playing games over the years like from everything from like Nobilis being like Diceless systems um, and we've got stuff like mouse guard and the um burning wheel systems that are like turning failure into a plot progression mechanic mm-hmm. um to like the the necessity of failure in some games where like in order to be able to advance in your skills you have to fail at them a certain number of times right before you're you're able to do that like i think all of that is very interesting and kind of reflective of some shifts in how we're viewing failure kind of as a society
1: yeah well i mean like i I think the point i was trying to get at near the end there was you know divorcing failure explicitly from like lethality and and death and things Hmm. like that and talking about failure as like i don't know just an abstract concept for the game and the storytelling in general what does failure mean even in a combat situation. Well, Mouse Guard is too. great at that.
0: Yeah. Right? Like, it, it is so hard to kill a player character in Mouse Guard. Right. Like, it's essentially impossible. You, you have to throw, like, overwhelming odds at your player characters, and then things have to go terribly, terribly wrong for your player characters to die. Yeah. So, like, uh, have you played Mouse
1: Guard? No, no, I have not. But I get the okay. idea that, like, you have to want them to die, and they have to want to die, and... Even yeah, everybody then, has to agree to it Yeah, <laughs> or it's just not going to happen yeah.
0: um, so the, the way that the, the mouse guard system works and by my understanding the, the greater burning wheel systems as okay. well is uh, when you attempt to do a thing yeah. you roll a pool of dice and then you compare the pool of dice to whatever result you're looking for like, it's very vampire in okay. that sure. sense um, if you succeed then the thing that you were trying to do goes off and you deal with your success if you fail Mm -hmm. one of two options happens you either get a um condition that's added to you and the conditions in mouse guard are fucking brutal okay they're all like pulling dice out of your pools or um like losing successes on those things so like if you're sick or hurt or tired and there's a bunch of them right so and you can like get you can collect them all like Pokemon? Gross. Um, so then you're just like this crippled, nasty little mouse at the bottom of a lake being like... <laughs> Incapable of doing anything. All right. But still, uh, somehow, not dead. A fate worse than death, <laughs> yeah. in a cases. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, or, instead of getting one of those conditions, you can take a plot twist. Okay. All right. So the um, example that they use for that is you're looking for this grain peddler... Um, you climb a tree to see if you can find the, like, cart that the guy was running with. Okay. You fail at the roll, but rather than fail at climbing the tree, you climb the tree because you're a fucking mouse. M- mice climb trees. Yeah, they do that. But instead of finding the, like, r- grain peddler's cart, right. you find that the grain peddler has been eaten by a goddamn snake.
1: Okay. Yeah, that, right. that'd and be I mean, a
0: twist. Right, and now you've got a snake to fight.
1: Yeah, not ideal, right? and but... so that,
0: And that's how they deal with failure in that system, is like when you fuck up a role, whether it's critical fail or not, right? Um, the plot just shifts.
1: Huh.
0: Right? And it's a, a system that requires a fair amount of improvisational ability for yeah, the I DM say, yeah. in order to be able to, to handle all of those, unless you just want to like load up your players with conditions and make their lives very sad um yeah we all know um, that one guy yeah yeah but like it it does create some really interesting situations where like i have had a group of players that were like broken and bleeding at the bottom of a warren full of bats and they did not have the necessary like dice pools to be able to do a lot and needed to rely on um not necessarily skills, but, like, abilities that they had or abilities that other players had who didn't have those conditions to try and, like, fix those things.
2: Okay.
0: And it creates a really interesting dynamic in that. Yeah. So like failure in Mouse Guard is almost not failure.
1: Yeah. It's just, uh... It's just the, the, the timeline splitting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, you suddenly have a
0: bunch of uh, new ways to handle that. Or, again, like the, the whole thing with the gumshoe system, where if you're trying to do a thing and it's your job, you just don't fail. Right. Yeah. Assuming that...
1: Oh, go ahead. Like,
0: assuming that the difficulty of the thing is lower than the skill points that you have in the thing. Right. You just automatically succeed, which is also very similar to a couple of other systems that I know. Like Nobilis does the same thing. Yeah. With the uh, the point totals. Yeah. And they've got this whole, like, bidding system on top of that that's a lot of fun, but...
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on, like, non-D&D systems approaching failure in very different ways.
1: Um, you know, I'm... Despite not trying a lot of other systems, um, I've always been the person who takes a very... Uh, ad hoc approach to how I run my games. Um, so, you know, I very much appreciate people coming up with creative ways on their own to handle things like that. I mean, you know, in, 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 uh, in my games, I tend to take a lot of the... When, when I'm running them, I tend to take, take a lot of the improvisational responsibility uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to failure um, in the way that the Mouse Guard sort of plot twist happens, right? Um, Mm. because that's something I already liked to do. I thought it was more, I thought it was more narratively fulfilling to have, um, I want to call them consequences, but just changes happen instead of just like, Mm. yes, no fail states on everything out there. You know, Mm -hmm. um, it often involves coming up with like, you know, like let's say, cause uh, what I tend to do a lot, I'm not the world's most um, creative campaign designer all the time. Uh, because <laughs> Are I, any I, of us? No, I mean, I, I have two kids and a full-time job. Like, I, I don't have the ability to just sit there and fill a notebook full of crazy plot twists and ideas. What I prefer You're to do... Your
0: first guys, Josh, has let ChatGPT
1: design <laughs> his next campaign. <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah so what i've done for a long time is take um the pre-gen campaigns that you can get well i mean i started with buying the ones from watsi in, in fourth edition because they made a lot of them and they were all pretty good and frankly you could run pre-gens from level one to level 30 the whole way very successfully i just have them daisy chain into each other doing it less so these days but um you know, drive through RPG, places like that, you can always just go find people's pre gen content. And then you take a look at it, and you, you know, one, you could just reskin it. I mean, I liked running a Dark Sun campaign. I can think of two they printed, and one was like a level one or two thing, mm. right? So I took a lot of time just like going through an existing other scenario and then reskinning it all for Dark Sun, you know, changing the creatures, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, But a big part of that whole process for me was looking at the non-combat kind of encounters and things like that and coming up with alternative solutions that weren't present in the book that gave people even more options for how they could succeed because let's say they need to pick a lock to get into a certain door you, you know players they will hyperfixate yeah. on things for mm-hmm. like yeah there's there might be a half empty chest behind this door it's probably nothing but if they critically fail and the lock pick breaks in the lock and they can't you know and now the lock mechanism is fouled and they can't unlock the door well then they need to have some other way to get in there right so i tried you know obviously like Maybe a pre-gen campaign. Like, oh, by the way, it's a it's a door, so it's like you know, here's the AC, here's the hit points. If they want to just beat the hell out of this door, it's gonna make a lot of noise, and I gotta think about that too if they decide to do that. But you know, yeah. um, I've learned that uh, creativity comes from a lot of weird places with a lot of solutions that <laughs> just have never occurred to you. Um, I remember I once was reading. Uh, an interview with a uh, famous burglar from, uh, I think it was from France, and the reason he had been so successful for so long is because he refused to look at architecture in its intended way. Uh, and what I what I mean by that is, this is a guy who'd be like, "I need to get into that office to get something out of that safe." They put a locked door in front of me and said, Haha, that'll keep him out. And he's like, well, those walls are just drywall and insulation. And I have a drywall knife that cost me $5 at Home Depot. Suddenly, <laughs> I have a door. I had to get in there from across, you know, from behind in, like, another room or something. But, like, there was no lock on that door and no guard in there. Shit. Do you remember that time that,
0: uh, Warp 2 got broken into exactly that way yeah 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 they just like cut a hole beside the door
1: yep yeah wandered in because it turns out like (laughs) if you have a big locked door and then you put a window beside it boy howdy does that window like to break (laughs) like it's just you know players will do the same thing to you whatever whatever your fantasy drywall knife is they will find it and be like aha Mm -hmm. i could just get in there this way and you're like Good God, that did not occur to me. But okay, yes.
0: Well, and I wonder, like, one of the things that I've always run into problems with with those pre-gen campaigns is that the, like, pass-fail states are so absolute in them. Sure. Like, there are so few options presented for other ways to approach any given problem. Yeah. That if you... Are following by the book, which I never do. Right. But if you are following by the book and if you are a like one of those DMs that has only ever just read the gray box and then reacted to what players are doing. Yeah. If they fail their roles, they can't progress. Yep. And there's no other real option for moving past that than getting successful roles, which to me is just mind bogglingly dumb.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And like again, like you, I've I've always like improvised very heavily off of those. Like I won't even read the gray text in the like pre gen campaigns that I've done before. Like, wow. I, I have damage. I'll we'll skim it, all, it over but... <laughs> and then I'll give my version of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like the the fact that an entire game can stall on one or two bad rolls has always been ludicrous to me. Yeah and trying to find ways around it relies so heavily on, like, the capabilities of the DM that I'm wondering if there's even a systemic
1: answer to that. Yeah, it's one of those, you know, in these situations, we are God, and players are closing every door we can find, and we are furiously trying to open windows around them
0: um you know uh, my favorite oh god i love when players are given like this is the most obvious answer to this thing yeah i have hinted that there is a less obvious answer to this thing yeah and instead of doing any of those things they've decided to just like jackhammer the floor out yeah and the floor is just solid stone yeah and yeah, underneath you're you is at just dirt, bedrock, and it's yeah. <laughs> like if you go any further, you're getting lava.
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. But they will be bound and determined to ignore both the hint and the obvious answer because the obvious answer is obviously a trap.
1: Right. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. Well, yeah. and and again, like I think it comes back to some of these cultural expectations. I mean, maybe it is something that we just need to like. Be more cognizant of as people running games is almost having like a when we do our session zero really setting the expectations for how we intend to run that campaign too where it's like listen it may be dumb who but has time for a session zero <laughs>
0: i have a hard enough time trying to get people to show up to session one okay fair enough
1: <laughs> but you know in session one like taking five minutes to be like look if an answer is obvious it's the answer i'm not a smart man like i'm not i'm not out here to fight you on this i'm here to help you guys have a fun time and tell a cool story and cool things will naturally happen and that's where we're going to get a story from but i'm not going to sit there and punish you guys for being like explorative or curious or or just dumb sometimes God, like okay
0: <laughs> my players in this most recent game i gave them two options yeah right you had west we're getting like weird Australian orcs. Yeah. You head east, we're getting drow riding dinosaurs. And that one guy was just like, What happens if we just go north? It's true. And I was like, You're in the fucking outback between them, I guess. And these are two forces at war. And I guess I need to figure out what's going to happen there. Yeah. <laughs> um, dingo attack. Let's go. Let me ask you
1: something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. A suplex. Uh, (laughs) let me ask you something how how much pushback do you give people to like just outside the box requests that really aren't smart like do you give them like full autonomy to just go do stuff or are you like your character knows that going north would be pointless because there's nothing there to see you know
0: you can certainly try. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. I, <laughs> um, I hear you. Yeah. That's,
0: yeah. Uh, almost none. Yeah. I am perfectly happy with my players running off and doing the dumb, unless it is something that is going to be openly disruptive to the other players. Okay. Um, as long as everybody goes along with the dumbness, right. I will figure it stupidity. out. There's a consensus
1: stupidity? Okay. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Um, it's, it's that whole thing where, like, we're... We're playing Lord of the Rings, but we get to decide if the soundtrack is going to be Dune or Benny Hill, and there is no actual choice. Like, I'm not making it consciously.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's on them. They get to decide which soundtrack we're running with.
1: (laughs) So, I have found myself experimenting with a more, and I know this is like a, a taboo sort of idea, but putting things... Slightly more on rails. For I don't people. know if we can be friends anymore, Joe. <laughs> <Okay. laughs>
0: How dare you bring railroads into this?
1: Well, it's just, you know, at the end of the day, all of these systems are about collaborative storytelling, and not everyone is as good at improv as other people, right? Um, oh, God.
0: Going back to the, like, Matt Mercer thing. Yeah. Where, like, one. If, if people are paying attention, the, the actual play series are very on rails. Right. Right. Like, yeah. One of the things that I noticed that I would never do as yeah. a DM is occasionally you'll hear like Matt or Brennan, they will tell you what your character is doing next. Yeah. Right. So you wrap that up and you're going to head over to here and then we're going to go over to this, this player. Right. And they just like, it's a, a little thing. It's just a little interjection. Yeah. But they don't ask.
1: No, they just, they they just tell it. you. Yeah.
0: You are going here now. Yeah. <laughs> right? And I get why. Because for, like, a, a televised, like, recorded session, right, that cohesion is absolutely necessary.
1: Well, and that, uh, I think, too, is, is again, a function of it being, like, a televised thing where it's like, yeah, they're, they've got a campaign and they're curious to see how people are going to handle things. But at the end of the day, a lot of these campaigns, I think, are just basically moving from, like, scene to scene. Yeah. And, you know, they've set up, interesting scenes for people to participate in and improvise in but like and again i think this is what's affecting a lot of new people coming in is that they've set this expectation of that's kind of how D&D is played or that's yeah. how whatever is played right now that being said i think extremes in either direction are uh, troublesome um especially because, given the number of like new players that I deal with who Mm -hmm. you know they've never played any sort of role-playing game before tabletop or otherwise um it's super helpful for them to kind of like get into the mindset or the mode of like how they're supposed to be thinking if that makes sense yeah well and that's
0: I don't know if that's something that's more or less unique to our situation because like my my groups for many many years were primarily new players yeah right and so like my experiences as a dm are with people who do not know what the fuck they're doing yeah and don't necessarily know how to progress what it is that they're what it is that they want their characters to do they don't really have a concept of goals they don't really know who their characters are and so there's a lot of like um there's a lot of like pulling There's a lot of, like, pulling little questions and, like, leading questions and, like, trying to get them more involved and more invested in what it is that's happening, right? And, like, if you you want me to be Matthew Mercer as a DM, you better fucking be Sam Regal because, like, there is no way that I'm going to be able to, like, improv at that kind of level unless you're giving it back to me. And for us, because we're dealing with new players so often, we're never going to get that, right? Like, we're going to get occasions where people are like really emotionally invested in a scene. And that's great. I fucking love those moments where like you and I have gotten into like fights yep. in character yep. and we've been like yelling across the table and like other players have been like, Oh shit, what is happening? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and, and those are great moments, but it you have to have a certain caliber of experience. You have to be able to, to bring that as a player to get those kinds of things like up and running and otherwise like yeah i kind of see where you are with the rails
1: but god it it hurts my soul i i understand i understand (laughs) and like you said it may just be an attitude warped by our typical playgroups you know um and you know trying to tie it back to the whole main theme thing maybe we need to sort of look at re-examining how we handle like You know, yeah, if I'm playing with a bunch of experienced players, i need less rails. But I can also Mm -hmm. trust them with less rails because they're just going to be smarter and more experienced and and know kind of how the whole thing works, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah, we're here to tell some stories, but... A big part of that is actually completing some freaking objectives, not just running around and grabbing every hook written in the book for you and not finishing any quests, right?
0: Um, I feel attacked. Um, <laughs>
1: I, and I and we so, were having
0: a friendly conversation here, Josh, and now you're they, just like coming at my playstyle. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All hooks, no finish. That's uh, And that's how I get a campaign to last for ten years. And then... Uh, yeah. but i'm wondering if like you know if, if if rails are something that we need to sort of tune to the group so maybe we should start doing the same with our handling of failure and what failure means to the individual group based on experience you know like do we do we make it more punishing for people who are more experienced because they know that that's a reality or do we make it super punishing from the start because that's we're now responsible for setting the expectation for these new players that this is the world that are living in? Or is it okay for us to let people have an initially more positive experience with the games? And then as they invest more time into it, we then just start. Suck the soul out of them. Yeah. Just, just... start <laughs> biting off little chunks and, and, and eventually oh, yeah. they'll be raw and, Sword. Just a massive
0: scar and yeah, missing yeah, yeah. limbs. Yeah. <laughs> See, I yeah. One of the things that I kind of took out of this last session for me was like the the question of trusting my players with those sorts of narrative decisions, mm-hmm. right? Because it, like my instincts as a DM are generally pretty kid gloves. Like, I understand how fragile player characters are. Right. I I know that if you apply a pound of pressure behind a knife, it will kill them. Yep. <laughs> and it's not going to be fun no. if that's happening all the time. And so um, when I entrusted those players with that narrative control, uh-huh. they took it in kind of an extreme direction like a, a, a direction that i wouldn't have right and i took that a little bit as a um, expression of interest okay. right? like e- expressing their expectation for how the campaign was going to go okay. do i take the kid gloves off right like is this a group where i'm going to have to be more brutal in general because they're looking for that like classic dungeon delve like three characters die per session kind of like D&D or is this just again the stakes setting right we've got somebody who died already yeah right we've got one corpse in our our background like the back mirror yeah. has one dead guy in it yeah now we're moving forward we put we put the kid gloves on now right cuz we've got those stakes established right but was this do i continue to trust my players with that narrative right. control. Do I pull that back a little bit, right? Like when my players do something weird, when I give them narrative control, do I then become a dictator? Is <laughs>
1: Yeah. Oh God. It's such a tough question to answer. Cause it's like, in my mind, it feels like one of those like cats out of the bag kind of situations where it's like, okay, this is what you wanted. Right. But at the same time, like, Maybe you have a better sense of, was that like a sobering moment for them or not at all? Like, I have a feeling with those veteran characters, players are just like, ha great, new character time, right? Yeah. At the same time, I get to roll. Yeah, yeah. the the new players, it might be one of those like, oh, shit, I can die now kind of things where yeah. suddenly they're very cautious in how they play. And then you've got these two completely disparate play styles now at the same table mm-hmm. trying to get along one person who wants to uh, I did
0: notice that the one player who put like a lot of effort into her backstory kind of pulled off
1: the table a little bit yep <laughs> yeah because yeah.
0: her level of investment is different right like she, she's got a different investment in that character
1: well, and, and especially with still. new players like that first character that they've really like worked on like, it's not like mm. when you showed up at an organized play where they were like here's a character this is you're this Yep. <coughs> no it's one that's a they, semi-gloss <laughs> piece of paper
0: you've never seen before Yep. he looks kind of cool yeah He's like a dragon, kind
1: of. Yeah, yeah. You're just like, okay, (laughs) his name's Ted. And then off you him. yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) But, like, for her, like, yeah, I know for a fact. Like, you know, being the the jaded sort of veteran that I am now, and I have not been playing games as long as you or a lot of other people, but, you know, it very quickly, regardless of whether you want to say it's because of games like World of Warcraft or whatever, but I... Don't have the same level of attachment to characters. And in general, my ideas for new characters are weirder and goofier every single time. Hmm. Just to keep myself interested. But when you first start playing the game, especially a game like this where it's not abstracted like, oh, I'm just looking at someone on a screen. This is me playing this character. I know for a fact that those new characters put, those new players put, a huge amount of themselves into every one of those characters. You know, like yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if half of that character's backstory is just reskin trauma from her own life. Like, God, that's happened at our tables. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you yeah, read, you, yeah. you read a new player's backstory, and you're like, you need therapy. Like you got to talk. Number of players,
0: the number of players that we have had come out at our tables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like through D anD was
1: gonna say just even Is... like simple, stupid terms. Like, do you know how, do you know how many characters have been my exact height? Because that's how I know to perceive the world.
0: <laughs> I need you to play a short king. I can't. I, you to play I can't like... do it.
1: I can't play a guy <laughs> under six feet right now. Like, I can't. Yeah, no. Like five, I, five foot nothing. I talk to the tops of people's heads, and
0: then <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want you to like. I want you to see everybody's beard from below.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing. So, and we'll talk a bit more about him later in regards regards to failure stuff. But my my last or my last character that I was playing was the first time I'd I'd played a dwarf in like a Mm -hmm. real game, Um, and it turns out I just sort of accidentally assumed he had like little man syndrome kind of all the time because that's Mm. just how. I have interacted with people his size my whole life, and he's got a Scottish accent. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Male, I mean, it's it's, it's, it's yeah. a super dwarf stereotype. Alequaff, big stash <laughs> was his name. Like that's racist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, there's. I think there's a huge problem with you know, the uh, what do you call it? So the the Larry Stew effect uh, for player characters initially, and mm-hmm. you know. The, their perception of failure in a game as personal failure and embodying mm-hmm. that failure um and well, it... that's why i was
0: so surprised at like the the sudden ferocity of the the failures that we were seeing right like i, I was expecting and like maybe this is just coming from me being in a different era mm-hmm. of like D, where there there was a bit more like tactics mindedness Sure. Right. Like we would have a lot more like is this going to be ideal play? Mm. Right? Are we going to be effective tactically if this decision is made? And so if I gave a player the ability to like decide what happens on their own crit fail, they'd be like, Oh, I missed a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe I move over to this square instead, which is actually tactically more advantageous than the square that I was in before yeah <laughs> right I just I stumbled I stumbled into this square
1: yeah
0: right and yep. like just kind of like skirting the cheating line a little bit right and so I was a little bit expecting that like that. that's kind of where I was um like it wasn't a test necessarily but like I, I wanted to see how these players were going to react to having that narrative control and where they went with it was surprising to me because of that like one, the lack of tacticality,
1: uh-huh.
0: right? Like just doing damage to yourself is never the right move in tactics. Almost never. Uh, and almost very very seldom. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly no. Some sometimes you sacrifice a piece, but like yeah. the, um, and then yeah, like the the utter lack of self preservation that came out of it. Yeah. Other player preservation that came out of it.
1: Let me, um, let me ask you something. How old are these two characters, roughly? Are these characters two players? players. players? The players.
0: Uh, mid-30s. Mid-30s. Okay. So. They have a different relationship with death now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Super <laughs> old. <laughs>
1: it's not that old. I mean, it's barely, like, not even close. To, it's fine. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> just mad they're younger than me. No. Uh, so. I... I I know you said they were veterans, but, like, I think there's some, like, when you say veterans, are they, like, 3rd edition veterans, or, like, they've just been playing 5th edition for a while?
0: 3rd edition, I I would say. They did play 3rd? But, like, haven't been playing consistently since.
1: Gotcha. Right, like,
0: and, like, I I can't even claim that I've been playing consistently since, but, like, I've I've picked up a few games here and there.
1: Yeah. But. Anyways um it was my job for a minute yeah yeah it's, you need a <laughs> break. You, yeah um because i i wonder if i wonder if there's a mentality shift because i i know a lot of people that got in around when i did or slightly before me uh came into the hobby i don't want to say like like in a more pure way or something that's not that's not my intention because
0: yeah, Penny Arcade doing live events was absolutely more pure than whatever's happening.
1: No, 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 no. Not even not <laughs> not even from that. Chris Perkins. I'm am saying the people who came in because they were like D and D adjacent in other nerd spheres. Hmm. Uh, people coming from like like me who came from a wargaming background. You know, yep. like when I got into any sort of nerd related hobbies it was it was games workshop it was old avalon hill stuff it was even like the whiz kids old clicks games and stuff right so there was just a different you know i I know people like to blame fourth edition and the quote-unquote wowification of things but there are people who came from just i oh it's it's listen i will defend fourth edition to my dying breath like the the innovations and the chances that they took with that system I think are really smart. And they haven't done any since because they're they kind of got booped on the nose for going outside the box and now they're pulled back in and are afraid. But then they kept a whole bunch of them. right? I know, like,
0: I know. It's... Advantage. Advantage and disadvantage which are just like core parts of the system now.
1: Yeah. They just change how they work mechanically, right? Yeah. But like I just, I, I wonder if tactical difference in like how you and I played because we were just used to like combat was tactical and you have to be smart and you can't just like do something that looks cool every time. Hmm. You know, because you're not like you're not playing for the big cool YouTube clip, you know
0: like my, my background again started with first edition. Yeah. Where like if you survived to fifth level you were gonna be a badass. Yeah. But your chances of getting to fifth level were not great. No. And like You had to earn it. <laughs> yeah. And and there was like a an adversarial feeling to it because it did come out of war games, right? Yeah. Like it, it was very much like it is a tactical game that is just one player per character. Yeah. But you're just playing a mini like a miniature war game. Yep and so like that that background as well i think plays into it where i see a tactical disadvantage uh in my play and like now now i would be the guy that goes for like the thing that is more narratively interesting than tactically interesting yeah but i think that's largely just because like i've done so much of the tactics shit
1: yeah it gets old
0: that it's boring
1: yeah (laughs) yeah
0: but yeah all right so talk to me more about this uh this dwarf character and his various failures
1: Okay, well, um, so yeah, so actually, I want to get your input on how this failure was handled because it was a, okay. it was a failure pulled from the jaws of success. Um,
0: Fantastic, best kind.
1: Yeah, and
0: <laughs>
1: so Elon buying Twitter. The yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let me just sort of set the stage for the whole situation we were in um so uh i've been playing in a game that is running uh the rhyme of the frost maiden which has been more or less run exactly as written um okay we've been farting around we've been we've been playing together for probably close to a year now um Mm -hmm. so we've gotten a fair amount done uh, we were all level six. Uh we had well my character had survived two potential TPKs. Um, Dang. Yeah. Which I mean, was Rhyme of the Frost
0: Maiden's no joke. Like it's, Oh yeah.
1: It's it's serious business, you know? Yeah. Um and when I say survived, I mean like boo boy howdy. like literally everyone else was down and i just like happened to get lucky which like cool whatever Mm -hmm. like things happen um so we were not like we were not playing with kid gloves that's for sure um and so you know we we uh we had at one point in the campaign encountered this uh this special ancient ice dragon and the we it was explained to us that like so she has a, a saddle on her back that has a long dead wizard strapped to it. She flies around and it's her best friend and she doesn't think he's dead. Right? Because he's not. Yeah. He's resting. Yeah, exactly. not even that. He's not he's... she she has full-blown conversations with him and just like her delusion is <laughs> Her her delusion is complete, and uh, she's gone half crazy over time, but still thinks that this powerful wizard rides on her back. Um, Mm -hmm. And (coughs) so uh, we later on, you know, we we had an interaction with her. Obviously, we're not dealing with an ancient dragon at level five (laughs) or whatever we were at the time. So we ran away like cowards, which is the correct response um and then we a little while later we leveled up a couple times and we were walking through a uh a tundra on the way to uh you know basically doing an escort quest um and we see suddenly this the snowstorm comes over us and we're trying to find our way and it doesn't seem like a magical snowstorm and then suddenly we see this wizard just sitting in the middle of the tundra um and okay. we're like that's weird so we went over and big brain us we like hey what if we like used it was a speak with dead or something that the clerics have and we're like hey let's try and get maybe he like fell off her back or something we could try and get a little bit more mm-hmm. information about like who she is so that we can kind of use that to keep ourselves alive if we have to encounter her again mm-hmm. uh turns out we were getting angler fished and she was under the snow the whole time so mm-hmm. as she comes up out of the snow everyone else fails their dex saves falls off uh takes a little bit of damage Uh, i being a dex-based character uh crit and stayed floating on her back right very cinematic haha this dragon's coming up and my guy is balanced on her back
0: um that's a great mental image like the rest of your party down below like i'm imagining it like from beneath fuck my chair just died um I'm imagining it from beneath, like, looking up at your character standing, like, on where the neck meets the shoulder. Yeah. On the dragon, like, looking back at this wizard as it's, like, flying. Yeah, it's very heavy metal. It's a very heavy metal cover.
1: Yeah, so then I'm like, okay, well, like, I knew that it was a super tough roll to make. I got lucky. I got to make sure I don't fall off this dragon right now while we're trying to figure out what's going on. So I run over to the saddle and just hop in this Mm -hmm. wizard's lap and she cranes her neck and turns around to talk to me and is both threatening me and the party at the same time. So I make the decision to take a hostage. Uh, And I just, I wrap my kind of arms around the back of this wizard and I'm like, I just ball up a fist and I'm like, listen, if you don't smarten up and chill out, let us have, like, a real conversation. Don't just try to murder my friends. I'm going to punch your friend into dust. Hmm. My thinking mm-hmm. being, this is her only friend in the world. She yep. is going to be trying to... She's going to try to preserve him at all costs. You know, he's a, he's a wizard, but I am a monk, and I am in his lap. Like, none of that matters anymore.
0: Right? The, the positioning of the arms is now confusing. If you're in his lap, and his head is here for the punching... I are you, have you turned around like are you are you cowboy yes. or reverse yes. cowboy? Not... <laughs> dead wizard.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, it was, I was gonna like reach around, kind of pull him into a Humber. headlock. Humber. and just kind of yeah, Humber. just have in, and around. the headlock. Yeah. Like I'm just gonna feed him okay. shots, okay. like you know, an older brother would. Um, first cowgirl, yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Uh, <laughs> so the response that I got was basically calling my bluff like bullshit. Okay. He's a super strong wizard. You couldn't touch him if you wanted to. So mm-hmm. I touched him repeatedly, viciously, okay. and his head mm-hmm. went flying. Um, which is what happens to corpses that get punched repeatedly by a monk. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's harder than it sounds, though. There's yeah, a lot be, of you. You'd be surprised. Uh, what What <laughs> helped me was that it's you know the everything's frozen. It's all icy. Oh yeah. So now it's just brittle, yeah. right? Yeah, that was fair. Um. Anyways, so. She just explodes with rage and grief and shock and immediately, like, throws me to the ground, stomps with me with two claws, bites me in the face. Like, the just getting thrown to the ground knocked me to unconscious. And then yeah. just quick succession beats the ever-loving shit out of me. I, like, just three immediate death fails. I'm dead. And then the rest of the encounter was my friends trying to get away while she sort of does like ancillary damage by like ragdolling my body like a pit bull and Mm -hmm. parts go flying off, whatever, whatever. So I am, I am dead, 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 dead. All my parts are like, I am other than someone reincarnating a new body for me. I am not getting put back together again. (laughs) So somebody put your foot in a bag. Yeah. And Okay, cool. Yeah. They have they have a, sure. a piece of leg that hit the cleric that is now in a bag, <laughs> getting gentle reposed every morning while they wait for the druid to level up enough. So my my one question damage with the foot from yeah. a monk kick.
0: Yeah. Now I'm not like or one D four because you're a monk <laughs> and it's unarmed.
1: <laughs> I'm level six, it's one D six. So I I'm not heartbroken about this character dying. Like, it, you know I. Yeah. I play a lot, I understand how things work and whatever, cool. It was a very interesting cinematic moment. But there are two things that don't a hundred percent sit quite right with me.
0: I do have a question. Sure, yeah, go ahead. What was your intimidate role?
1: Oh, it was uh bad. Like not
0: great. Okay. Like I'm... is that where the failure was? Cause like as far as I can tell, you succeeded in punching that guy a lot.
1: Yeah, um, I can I my balance. I punched <laughs> that guy a whole bunch, and then I failed one intimidating check because yeah. she's an ancient dragon and just yeah, whatever. I mean, no, that's fair. Like
0: intimidating an ancient dragon is hard. Yeah, um,
1: it's not great. I don't
0: know what your DM was doing as far as like bo- invisible bonuses and like penalties, but I mean, if I had somebody's only friend in my hand and was going to violence them, I would probably give that person a plus two on Intimidate. Um. <laughs> and so to see, I think
1: that's where part of my my thing comes in, because as far as I can tell, either he doesn't believe in the Invisible Hand or is very sparing with it. And basically just uses, like, stat blocks as written for, like, everything. Right. Um. So, one, do you think it was, like... There, there was a failure there, but it came after yeah. two successes, right? Yeah. As, a, as someone running a game, do you think it is, like, appropriate to have, basically, instant, utter failure in certain situations that, like, especially, like, semi-narrative kind of situations like that. Like, this is a very cinematic moment that could have mm-hmm. been a cool chance for like more to have happened after that first failure and and two do you think so i was told that i misread or misinterpreted rather what was said about the the dragon's sort of mental faculties um but re-examining it i worry that well, I, it is, it's my feeling that basically the DM misread the way that that character was written in the book right. and didn't think through more than just the basics of what was written down. So okay. when it comes to, like, failure like that, like, whose responsibility is it to communicate to, like, ensure that failure is, like, I guess fair failure, like fully informed mm. failure, and then second of all, like like I said, do you think that they handled the severity of the failure correctly?
0: I'll answer the second question first because it's easier. Okay. Uh, hell no. Okay. No, they fucked that up. Okay. Um, and the reason that I would say that is because the way that they handled that failure created fewer interesting options gotcha right like the the number one priority for me whenever i'm in a decision making juncture as a dm is what is going to create the most interesting options from this decision Mm -hmm. right so you had the success to stay on the dragon you hopped into the the saddle with the wizard you made a bad intimidate check. Yep. Okay. You punched the wizard. And was there talking after that punch?
1: No. There was
0: no talking after that punch. It was just... Okay. Because that that's another opportunity for interesting things to happen, right? So you punch the wizard. You show you mean business, right? You look over at the dragon and you're like, hmm? Should we do this? Yeah. Right? And not even necessarily like a, an intimidate check in that case. What I would do on her side right as the the dragon is i would go into a diplomacy check space instead gotcha right don't don't punch my wizard yeah right that is a thing that is incredibly valuable to me that is a person that is incredibly valuable to me you've shown that you're capable of doing damage to that thing yeah right now i'm in a place where i have to negotiate right right and if you continue punching the wizard after she's like hold 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 on whoa 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 whoa, hold on Mm -hmm. right like Let's talk about this a little bit. Stop punching my wizard. Get down there so I can eat you. Right? Like, have a conversation around that. If you continue punching after that, then yeah, you're going to get fucking eaten. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs)
0: Like, but you... You were presented a situation that you attempted to intelligently resolve the conflict. Mm -hmm. And the options from that should be things get better, things get worse right and instead of things getting better and things getting worse things got dead right right and that to me speaks to a lack of narrative understanding right right they, they didn't understand how that narrative flow could benefit from other options right right options that are possibly more difficult for that DM right right they are going to require more in the way of improvisation yeah um directions that don't necessarily sit with exactly what the book has planned out so you'll have to make some adjustments right but still more interesting in the long run than now I have a dead player character
1: yeah so right. one one detail that and I think this one is one that sort of makes me feel that in in some way I was kind of set up to fail um mm-hmm. but I was told that when I made the threat he basically came up with a damage amount that if i rolled that damage amount the head would go flying and then she would basically perceive me as having now murdered a living friend of hers if Mm -hmm. i didn't roll that amount of damage then i assume like maybe then negotiations could have continued i don't know i think even after the
0: head goes flying right because like yeah, yeah she's gonna be mad Right, she's gonna think that you just killed a guy. Yeah. But she's already crazy. She already thinks that this guy's still alive. You'd be like, no, 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 he's fine.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Right, his head's over there. He's he's good.
1: Yeah. He's he's a, a, we'll just put it back on. He's a wizard. He's a crazy, powerful wizard. I'll just bring it back. He'll be fine. Yeah. 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 We'll just we'll just we'll put it back on. Right, You're like giving <laughs> me the opportunity to like go retrieve his head and put it back on and be like, see, he's fine. Exactly. And she'll be like, oh, good, yeah. Right, and that that's where you get those
0: opportunities to yeah. like bring something that's more interesting. From a failure. Yeah. Right? Because, like, you failing that Intimidate check, like, yeah, that has to have, like, some sort of, like, narrative flow that happens. Yeah, from there has that. to be
1: some sort of, like, consequence, in, in, for lack of a better term. But,
0: but, like, immediately jumping to an overpowered enemy rocks fall, players die. Right. Is, I think, not always the incorrect answer, but in this case, you had so many other options that you could have gone with that would have been... Like more interesting and resulted in a better story, right? Than what actually happened in that case. Um, as far as like the communication of shared imagined space, mm. um, I mean that's everybody's responsibility, mm-hmm. but it's hard. Yep. Yeah. And a lot of that rests on the DM. Yeah. Right, because you you are the the person that's doing so much of the expositing, of your D game right you're the one who's describing things and if you describe them in a way that players misunderstand then they're going to make actions based on what their imagined space looks like rather than yours yeah right and if you describe it in a way that everybody understands absolutely it's fucking boring yep <laughs> um, well it's a five by five room yeah there is a torch sitting
1: <laughs> on the wall <laughs> but you, you do also have to understand that, like English, is a transmitter-oriented language. Like it is yeah. the it is the speaker's responsibility to make themselves clear, and especially as a DM who has all of the information, mm-hmm. right? Like you have a heavy burden on your shoulders, and I understand that that's not an easy burden. I've done it myself, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But then to like, I think it's kind of. Sh- Kinda of shitty to turn around to your character to your players and be like, oh yeah, you misread that. That's on you. That is. Like, yeah,
0: no, like I, I agree. Um and like I also feel like there was a responsibility from your DM to question your course of action prior to you taking it. That's fair. Right. And like providing you the information about what that choice could entail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like I don't know what your character's wisdom score is. But that's one of those situations where you're just like, hey, can you roll me, like, a base intelligence? Right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. To? Right? Like, I just need to know, like, kind of where you are, and then I can give you some extra information. And you kind of, like, scale that information based yeah. on what the roll is. Like, I, I right? definitely...
1: another out. Yeah, I definitely, like, when, when making this character, um, it's been... It was kind of difficult to roleplay him because the idea was that, like, he had a... a Decently high wisdom score at the cost of other stuff because I wanted the idea to be that he was very empathetic, and mm-hmm. like you know, uh, the reason he became a monk and walked away from his old bouncing job was because you know at one point um, he realized that he could see. The, so remember the in about the,
0: Gary Stewing, your characters in there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, <laughs> shut up! Uh, no, he uh, <laughs> uh,
1: like the uh, those those new Sherlock Holmes movies. He could kind of like see you know where someone had like a limp or a, you know mm-hmm. a hitch or something in their step uh, or or whatever, and use that to his advantage. When it was removing people, and then one day he could see that it was someone's heart, like they like a, it was an emotional mm-hmm. wound that they carried. And so that sent him off sort of into the, the more spiritual mysticism realms. And, and, and
0: Well, then that's absolutely a spot where you would want, like, one, the character moment yeah. of, like, empathizing with the dragon, and two, yeah. the wisdom of punching a wizard's head off, right? Right. Like, you are capable of modula- moderating the amount of punch you do. Right. <laughs> like, if you know that this wizard is kind of brittle, you just, like... Give it, a, give it a couple of taps. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, you don't knock his fucking block off.
1: Well, and especially right? if, if you're going to tie it to something like how much damage I do to it. Like, yeah. I don't I don't have to take both of my attacks. I don't have to Floria blows his no. head. I just I'm did. Because like, I was like, well, I said I was going to punch him multiple times so I punched him as many times as I could in one turn. Right? And like, I don't know what
0: kind of like pull your punches rule you generally roll with but like, I will allow a player to take a one damage. Yeah. Right? Like, if they're pulling their punches, then you can just fucking do that.
1: Yeah, we, we um, do the thing. I don't know if it came about in the fourth edition, but the, the thing where you know if you say, "Yeah, I'm going to do maximum damage, but it's non lethal damage," then it's yeah. just, okay, yeah, you just
0: beat and him, him, until stop, him until he stops. An option
1: too. Beat him until he stops. Hard
0: when it's not a hard when it's not a living thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't non lethal the corpse.
1: <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah. Any I'm damage gonna... that you do is actually post lethal. <laughs> I just, I just want him to, you know, know that I'm serious, right? Yeah. Yeah, just enough to, like, cave in the cheekbone a little bit. Or right? like, just make it clear, like, hey, look, here's your options when you go- decide to punch this guy. You can go full blow. Yeah, and that head's definitely going to come off, and you're going to deal with that. Or you can just, you know, do it for show, mm-hmm. just to show you're serious. Or maybe some combination of the two, you know?
0: Well, and then asking about your motivations, too, yeah. right? Like, when you're in a situation where somebody has declared an action that you don't completely understand... Yeah. What are you trying to accomplish? ...clarifying questions.
1: Yeah. Hmm? Just, what are you trying right. to accomplish?
0: Like... Yeah. Like, are, what is it that you want to do with this action? Because yeah. there's a couple of different ways that we could maybe approach it, right? And then you have the knowledge of, like, how you can approach that to not result in being completely dismembered by a dragon. Yeah. Um, Because, like, yeah, to have all of that off of one roll that isn't even a critical roll, right? Like, you didn't even roll a one. No. Right? No. And that... To have your character die from that from an overwhelming force, yeah, that absolutely sounds like you were set up to fail. Yeah. And, and no, I would... I would be upset with myself if that was the DMing decision that I had made in that case. Yeah, that's fair. Right, just, again, like, the, the whole thing for me is what is going to create the most interesting options going forward from this game winner like pass or fail yeah where's the most interesting options
1: so branching off of that i guess because you know like obviously i'm still playing in the game i have a new character who's going to show up next week like whatever it's Mm -hmm. fine i i'm actually kind of excited to play this new weirdo character because i like making weirdo characters um but As a player, like we've talked a lot about, you know, the DM's responsibility when it comes to managing failure Mm -hmm. and creating ultimate states. What do you think we can do as players to help maybe like push back or redefine what failure means in a game where you worry that a DM is like taking things to an extreme that isn't? Like if we're if oh, I don't know I've never actually played this game as a player. But... <laughs> <laughs> like it, no.
0: like um. if 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 a player
1: came to you and was like, "Hey, listen, like, here's what I'm trying to do with an action. Here's, you mm-hmm. know, where I'm hoping the story to go. What I don't want to happen is for me to like botch this so badly that I die or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like." would you take that into consideration when they're coming to you? Or you're like, always. well, always. sure, you as a person. But, like, how how would you like them best to sort of communicate expectations in a way that's, like, healthy? Without, like, I mean, just giving them free reign to say, I'm always the hero and never lose.
0: Yeah, I, I think, like, the negotiation of the social contract is one of the most interesting things in... Role-playing games, and I feel like that's probably going to end up being its own whole episode of whatever this thing is we're doing. Sure. Um, because like it is, it is such a complicated and nuanced yeah. part of like the tabletop role-playing game experience, and like those negotiations are almost always hard. It's it's like trying to negotiate with your significant other about something that's difficult, right? Like they, right. they can sometimes be very emotionally invested in the way the game. Mm-hmm. Um. For my tables, I know that I have always invited that kind of response. Like, I, I ask at the end of games, like, how was that for you? Is there anything that you guys want to, like, uh, change? Is there anything that you guys are, like, specifically looking for? Like, what are you thinking about doing next session, right? And, like, those inter-game like inner game conversations are really important for, like, refocusing where I'm going and what it is that I'm doing. Uh, but as a like on the player side, introducing those conversations can feel kind of strange. Because like there is a I, I don't like the word and I'm trying to find a better way to describe this, but there is a expectation of authority that comes from the DM. Okay. And having a conversation with your DM about something that you are unhappy with is speaking to power, right? Like you are having to bring a complaint to somebody who has authority over you. Right. And that is a very difficult place for a lot of players to be. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people to be, right? Like talking to your boss about getting a raise is like a traditionally harrowing experience. Right. So like, yeah, that's really hard. Cause like, there's definitely a part of me that's just like, eh, you just need to, like, buck up and do it. Just <laughs> be like, hey, you fucked up. <laughs> yeah. This is how you fucked up and my friend said so. Yeah. And he's, he's been doing this a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, got it on, I got it recorded. You, here, let me send you a, a link to my podcast where we tell you you're a shit DM.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's... <laughs> That's the podcast name, How Not to Be a Shit DM. <laughs> I don't know if I'm qualified for that. Yeah, well okay. <laughs> See, that's
0: how we know you're qualified. It's that imposter syndrome. Oh, uh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Um I mean what what systems are in place for your game already for negotiating the the social contract? Like have you guys had those conversations before?
1: Mm. Kind of, but not really. You know, that's that's the tough part of it. Is that like, right? There had just hasn't been a lot of give and take about, uh yeah. Like any I, part of the problem is that like we have played together before in other groups. He's been in groups that I've run. I've been in other groups that he's run. You know, one of the players is his significant other. Another guy's a long term mm-hmm. vet that they've been friends outside of the game for other reasons. So it's. It's all just kind of a mess. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I feel like we're going to
0: have to, like, shunt that one off to its whole own, like, probably. discussion. Because, like, again, that social contract and, like, establishing yeah. a social contract and maintaining a social contract and negotiating <laughs> a social contract, like, all of that has so much nuance yeah. to it. Um, that I don't, like, we've already been doing this for, like, two hours, so <laughs> it's, yeah, that's true. Hour and a half?
1: Hour and three quarters.
0: Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know if we've got like another
1: five hours to, to delve into. Some no, that's that's or. fair. I just, I, I <laughs> like the idea of giving people tools to sort of help them, I, like you said, kind of negotiate the, the level of comfort with failure within the group. If,
0: But that's, I think,
1: also something that needs to happen like early on. And,. Yeah, it's tough when you've been you know playing together for a year and things take a left turn and you're like, wow, I didn't think mm-hmm. we we're gonna be that abrupt about things, but okay.
0: Well, and so much of it, unfortunately, does come down to like DM fiat. Yeah. And like, that is again a, a topic for a whole other thing. Is like yeah. the amount of fiat and narrative control yeah. that is provided to, to various people, but like, yeah, tr- trying to mitigate that. As much as I would love to be able to give players a tool where it's just like, here is a page in the DMG where it tells your DM to not be a dick. Yeah. Uh. (laughs) If only
1: they somehow put that in every edition, but they just conveniently forgot.